Another great football Saturday on tap for all you college football fans out there, whether you're rooting for the Wolverines or the Spartans, back-to-back games to watch and enjoy, starting with Michigan State as the intro course, the appetizer platter, if you will, at number 8 Penn State, a 3.30 kickoff on Big Ten Network. And Michigan, of course, the nightcap, ABC, 7.30 start time at the Big House against the 15th-ranked Wisconsin Badgers. Along with Adam Biggers, I'm Ryan Schuling. You're listening to the Great Lakes Divide podcast, brought to you by Federal Williams. F-E-D-E-R-A-U, williams.com for all your real estate needs, whether you're buying or selling in the greater Lansing area or throughout the state of Michigan. Mike Williams is here to serve you. And once again, you can find them online. All you need to know in the current housing market here in the month of October, federalwilliams.com. Adam, talking Michigan, we'll start there as we always do, bringing you in. You'll be heading down your favorite highway, US 23, to cover this one in Ann Arbor. Uh, Your thoughts on this matchup coming in, things that stand out to you from the week that was preparation-wise for the Wolverines. Well, it's going to be a big test for the offensive line. I don't think there's any question there. I mean, this is now the you know first place team in the Big Ten West. I'm not, I'm not saying it hasn't been tested, but I mean it, it, it fared well against Maryland. It fared well in the second half against Northwestern and handled Nebraska. Let's see how this offensive line. We're we're seeing improvement, but is that just because of the quality of teams? I mean, this is arguably. I mean, this is the biggest game since Notre Dame, right? So for Michigan, so. Uh, I want to see what this offensive line does. And that kind of trickles into to a lot of things. I mean, Shea Patterson is showing that he can be a, a star quarterback for the Wolverines. This is going to be a stage for him, right? I mean, with it being a 7.30 kickoff college game day event, this is a, a, a huge game, monumental. Well, I don't know monumental. Maybe I'm going a little too far with that. But it's a very important game uh, for Michigan and, and Wisconsin. Defensively, I mean, but can the Wolverines – hold Jonathan Taylor to fewer than 100 yards. I mean, that's kind of – he's averaging 141 per per game. He's the third leading rusher in the country, uh, arguably the best running back in the country. I think he's certainly the best running back in the Big Ten right now. I mean, Michigan's got a pretty good one with Karan Higdon too. But Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor is uh, – I think you got to – if you're not saying he's the best running back in the country, then, you know, name a couple other guys uh, who are because I can't think of them off the top of my head. Taylor's just – Taylor's killing it. So, I mean, to see the matchup between, you know, Devin Bush and potentially Kalik Hudson. And, uh, you know, Wisconsin's offensive line's done a good job protecting Alex Hornibrook. He hasn't lit, lit it up stats wise. He's been efficient. He's completing like 64% of his passes on the year. Uh, he's only been sacked eight times. So I don't think, uh, you know, there's a few things, you know, that, that you can point to or what are going to be game deciders? What jump out at you, uh, when you're, you know, kind of thinking of this match? And then, of course, you know, Ryan, once kickoff comes, all that stuff could go out the window. It's a night game at the big house. This is rough and tough Big Ten football. This might be one of those low-scoring games. I don't see it too low-scoring. I don't think it's going to be offensive fireworks show, but this is going to be a physical game. Uh, some, there's going to be some guys feeling it after this one for sure. If I'm a Michigan fan, I always hate betting the line on Michigan. It always seems to be inflated beyond what I would be comfortable laying money down. They opened as six-and-a-half-point favorites in some books in Vegas. That number now all the way up to 10. It feels a little heavy. I think this is a one-score game if I'm going to give it a thumbnail sketch kind of preview. Is there something, though, as you go back, Adam, and you look at Wisconsin, I I had a cursory glance at their loss against BYU that happened in Madison. Now, Taylor, like you were mentioning, he still got over 100 yards 
in that game was not part of the problem, but Hornibrook had a very pedestrian performance throwing the ball just 190 yards through the air, no touchdowns, an interception, and uh, really a shocking result. As you look at the Big Ten right now, there's only one undefeated team left, and that's, of course, Ohio State. You've got a mishmash of one-loss teams that includes Iowa and, of course, Wisconsin. Uh, Penn State will be in action against Michigan State. They've got the one loss to Ohio State, and, of course, Michigan's loss to Notre Dame. But if you think about all those one-loss teams that I just mentioned, the Wisconsin loss to BYU is the most puzzling. So I guess the question is, you know, what Wisconsin team do you expect to take the field in Ann Arbor? And what about the matchups in recent years between these two teams uh, lend you to kind of uh, make a prediction one way or the other? Well, I mean, and, and it's weird because I was looking at both their schedules, right? I mean, does, does Michigan have like the marquee win? No. I mean, there's not a marquee win on there. I, th- I mean, I think that that win overall, could, when you look at the complete- completeness of it, um, completeness, completeness, completeness. I don't, I can't even say it. Is that even a word? Anyway, if you look at the totality of that win, I think that was Harbaugh's best win, just in terms of every everybody that got involved. We talked about this after it happened, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. When you when you look at uh, Wisconsin's loss to BYU, I mean. Was BYU, uh, you know, what we were, you and I were discussing, you know, maybe it takes a couple of weeks to see how bad that one actually looked. I mean, I think what BYU's lost like two of its last three or two in, a, two in a row, something like that. But looking at Wisconsin's schedule, just like Michigan's, I don't see a marquee win. This is both of their marquee games, you know, with the exception of Michigan at Notre Dame, the loss. But I mean, right now, for all, for all intents and purposes, this is the marquee game for both of these guys. I mean, Wisconsin beat a good Iowa team and separated itself. You know, beat Nebraska, separated again, separating itself in the West. So I don't. Uh, I, I'm interested to see exactly. I mean, what Wisconsin team is going to show up? I mean, what Michigan team is going to show up? And I mean, from mm-hmm. what I've seen so far, this looks like a pretty good, uh, a, a pretty good Michigan team. This definitely has some potential. I don't see Wisconsin as closely not there on a day on a daily basis. But I mean, again, we're. The, the, Go back. I mean, uh, Nebraska's uh, Adrian Martinez put up like 455 yards on on this Wisconsin team, you know. And I mean, we're we're we saw a Michigan team just completely stifle the Huskers in every shape and form. So I mean, if we can use that as some sort of comparison, then I mean, I still like Michigan in this game. And as you're mentioning earlier, the betting line now inflated to ten. I know I said don't wouldn't take the what was it a 17 point favorite over Minnesota and the or not Minnesota. Uh, Okay, well, 17-point favor. Who who was that just recently? It was Nebraska. They didn't even play in Minnesota. It was over Nebraska. I said, no way. They're beat. Well, they beat them by 46 points. I'm not taking Michigan. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to 10-point favorites with Michigan. And I, think, I do think it'll be a one-score game. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 28-24. If I'm going to bet on one number, it wouldn't be the line, the spread, but it would be the under. And I know a lot of bettors out there, they don't like betting the under. It's 49 for this game. And if you look at the last two years' matchups between these two schools, a lot of the supporting casts are the same, Adam. A year ago, you can go back and Michigan lost in Madison 24-10, to low-scoring game. Points were at a premium, particularly for the Wolverines. But even in the game they won a couple of years ago in Ann Arbor, you might remember this one, a slugfest. Yeah, Michigan 14-7. Yeah. So, I mean, this margin for error, I would think, 
in turnovers and turnovers for touchdowns, literally and figuratively, and turning those things into points, field position, it just seems like it really comes down to that matter of inches between these two schools. Right, and I and I almost and I talked about it a little bit during my live stream today. I almost feel kind of torn on do I think they're even going to go twenty eight twenty four? I mean, one score game certainly. You know, four. You know, and we're not talking a touchdown. We're talking you know three four points here, field goal or you know touchdown, and then got kind of chopped off with a late field goal by the other team at the end, whatever. But we're we're not talking you know a a, a touchdown plus here for Michigan. And in last year, I remember too Dixon with that. Uh, punt return uh, for a touchdown. Michigan was literally caught sleeping on that play, if you remember, and then he just kind of picked up the ball. Uh, Fair caught it. I think he fumbled it and then picked it back up and then ran, and like Michigan defenders were just not aware that they were supposed to keep going. I'm not sure if you remember that play, Ryan, but I mean... I do. Yeah, the ba- I mean, the Badgers got a freebie last year, so I mean, if we, we take that away, if Michigan's awake on that, we're looking at a 14-10 game. And just like you mentioned, 14-7... Uh, the year before, I remember the incredible interception at midfield by Jordan Lewis. Uh, Air Jordan, literally uh, one-handed, beautiful, one of the best. And to this day, I think that's the best interception that I've that I've seen uh, in any game that I've ever covered. And I, I think you could probably argue it's one of the best interceptions you, you'll ever see. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Twenty. I mean, I'll go twenty-eight, twenty-four. But you say the the uh, under is forty-nine. I mean, I wouldn't. Would I be surprised if it was twenty eight twenty four? Not really, but I would. Would I be surprised if this was a you know a sixteen nine game, <laughs> you know, or a sixteen ten yeah. game? No, I wouldn't be surprised about that either. And absolutely, turnovers. Turnovers are going to be. Uh, they're big every week, but this is going to be huge uh, this week because both teams are pretty good on third down conversions too, so they can sustain drives. And I mean, you got to be able to. You got to be able to capitalize on some type of mistake, and I mean Michigan hasn't. Uh, like I said, I mean Shea's three interceptions, two of them weren't his fault. One of them certainly wasn't wasn't his fault. And that one was a tip out of Gentry's hands um, to a, a Maryland defender. Uh, we haven't seen a fumble other than Shea Patterson's fumble at Notre Dame. You know, all these, the any offensive turnovers were early. We haven't seen a running back uh, fumble. We haven't seen a receiver or tight end fumble after a catch. So, I mean, we're, you know, this has been, a, minus some of the penalties, this has been a relatively clean offense for Michigan this year. So, yeah, absolutely, a, a turnover is great point by you. Uh, turnovers are going to be extremely crit- critical in this game because it is going to be a one-score game. I'm, I'm pretty confident saying that. One score, less than one score. I'm right there with you. And, again, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, this will be under the lights at the big house, a 7.30 kickoff on ABC. Grounding going to be so important to Karan Higdon uh, profiling as one of the best backs in the Big Ten, certainly taking that step forward. He's been the bell cow for the Wolverines, especially with the absence of Chris Evans, averaging 5.8 yards per carry. On the other side, you mentioned him earlier, Adam, Jonathan Taylor, he's averaging 6.7 yards per carry. He's got eight touchdowns. He profiles as a first-round draft pick uh, at the running back position. So as you look at that, and I'll give this opportunity for you to expound on the injuries from Michigan and the two that we've talked about earlier in the week that are being most closely monitored, whether Chris Evans will be able to go on that side of the ball, 
to compliment Karan Higdon. True Wilson's done a nice job stepping up and stepping in. But then on the other side of the ball, too, the absence of Rashawn Gary. We know he's been struggling. He is questionable for Saturday's action. Chase Winovich seems to thrive when Gary's at full speed on the other side. Who wouldn't be in that kind of mode? But uh, your thoughts on those two, where they factor in, what Michigan looks like with or without them? Actually, got a, a question about Chris Evans on Twitter from at uh, 35 Robert 16. I think he asked a question uh, last week too. So uh, this goes perfectly into it. So to you, Ryan, and to Robert, I mean, you get Chris. True Wilson's been a, a really good compliment to to Karan. There's no doubt about it. But you need Chris Evans back there because Chris Evans can do fit. True Wilson's better pass blocker, uh, run run blocker. Yeah, that's that's. I don't think that's up for debate. But Chris Evans' athleticism. And if Michigan wants to, I think this is going to be, you know, kind of stick to the game plan type of thing. You mentioned the run game. I think it's going to be crucial for both sides. I mean, this is going to be a power football game. You know, Big Ten, Wisconsin uh, is very similar in style. And when it comes to, you know, strength, having the beefy tight ends, you know, going with the fullbacks, they like to pound the ball, that kind of stuff. That's what, you know, Michigan's trying to do as well. So I think, it's that, you know, stylistically, they both compare well. I think Michigan... You know, if it's got to, it's going to separate itself. Karan Higdon isn't Jonathan. Jonathan Taylor's just a different kind of running back, man. And, and that's not a knock on Karan Higdon at all. I mean, Jonathan Taylor's just at a different level right now. And so how do you counter that? How can you throw the other defense off, you know, thinking, okay, well, they're just going to try to pound Karan and, and True. Well, I mean, if you can get Chris Evans open in, in some space, that gives your offense an advantage. So Chris Evans will be, you know, could be huge in that, in that aspect of, being able to – it's not going to be, you know, uh, too flashy of an offense. I've been asked if I think Michigan's going to open up the playbook more against Wisconsin. I mean, with the exception of, you know, maybe one special play, I mean, I don't think we're going to just see, you know, uh, four, five, six, you know, brand-new plays that we haven't seen all year, formations, that sort of thing. I, I think that, you know, we might see a couple. And But like I said, this is going to be one of those power football games, kind of stick to the game plan. But if you can kind of deviate a little bit, of course, Chris Evans might be one of those guys who can help you on offense because he's pretty he's pretty dangerous in space. But again, that that all depends on how Chris Evans uh, feels and if he's a hundred percent ready to go. It sounded likely from running backs coach Jay Harbaugh earlier this week that Chris would play. As for Rod, as for Rashawn Gary, yeah, we've known since Ryan since Notre Dame that something you know slight ding to the right shoulder. Not exactly sure, um, you know, the prognosis. He's questionable. He was questionable last week, held out for precautionary reasons, questionable this week, you know, being held out for precautionary reasons as well. So um, obviously the return of Rashawn Gary would be big, but if he's not fully healthy, I mean, I think Quiddy Pay has done a really good job and, and Aiden Hutchinson done a really good job plugging in behind him. Chase Winovich has been spectacular this year, as you and I have talked a lot about. And they're a little dinged up on the on the defensive line, you know, Dwumfor, I don't expect to see him back this week. Aubrey Solomon's been out all year. I don't expect to see him um, back this week, although he is back to practice. We're waiting on an update on Dwarm for injury. Kyle Kemp waiting for for an update. But, I mean, they do have other guys that they could plug in there. And Brian Monet being a fifth-year senior gives him that experience. And, uh, you know, he's played a ton of snaps. So they're going to have to lean on Brian a little bit more on the interior. And, I mean, we've seen Donovan Jeter plug in there. Um, you know, they've uh, – they they do have they do have some depth at on the defensive line, um, but you can't afford it anymore. <laughs> you can't afford any more injuries at this point, obviously. So if 
Back to the root of your question, though, Chris Evans, explain what he could do offensively for them. And then, you know, with Rashawn, just his presence, I, I think, would be big. But if you're Michigan, you might you might want to just see if he can go without. If it's touch and go with Rashawn Gary, I mean, I don't think you, you know, I don't think you want to be without him later in the year if uh, playing him right now could potentially worsen things. So, I mean, if I'm, if I'm Michigan, I'm probably going touch and go with Rashawn Gary right now, which sounds like is the case. Everything. Everything is predicated, of course, on the ground game for Wisconsin. He It allows Jonathan Taylor, Alex Hornerbrook to have a, a significant margin for error. And I don't know that anybody is set up better for success at the quarterback position than Alex Hornerbrook. It's good to be Alex Hornerbrook. Look at the offensive line in front of him. Look at the running back behind him. He's got a decent complement of wide receivers. I'm sure Brian Lewerke might be looking over going, man, I wish I had all that, those shiny new toys. And, well, Michigan State struggles we'll get to in just just a little mo- moment, but I, it does bring me to my next question for you, Adam, as they come off that 42-21 win over Maryland, you, you kind of said it, they don't have a marquee win, uh, Michigan that is, at Northwestern I think would be their best quality win, but they were down 17 nothing at one point in that game. Do you feel at this point, halfway through the season, that the questions that needed to be answered by the Michigan offensive line have been answered, or do you have any lingering doubts? slight lingering doubt i mean i think we've seen some questions answered but again i want to see against uh one of these a quality big 10 defensive line and let's not i mean nebraska uh, ryan on paper talent wise there's some problems going on in nebraska talent wise that is not a bad defensive line and if you looked at the numbers at it um prior to uh, the game you would not they don't correlate with a team that's struggling that bad. So talent-wise, Nebraska did not have a bad defensive line. But I don't. it's not doubt, really. I mean, it's just you, you want to see and answer one more question. Do you know what I mean? Let's say you're having a really good interview, and you want you want to top it off. Just one more question. Let me get one more question. That's kind of my feeling right now with, with this Michigan offensive line. Just answer one more question for me. And that they'll do that. They'll do that tomorrow night. They're going to answer yeah, it. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's going to be the reaffirming answer that okay, yes, that that offensive line is is definitely headed in the right direction. Or okay, well, is it? It's still headed in the right direction, but maybe it's a little bit further than what we thought. Yeah, tomorrow tomorrow's one more question, guys. Answer this one more question for me. So one more question left to answer. Wisconsin provides the number 42 a rush defense, so uh, it's malleable to a point. I would figure Karan Higdon would be in good shape to have a decent performance. Pressure on the quarterback, though, and for Shea Patterson, that would be the question I would like to see answered by that Michigan offensive line against Wisconsin. And I guess from a broader perspective, Adam, if the Wolverines are able to take care of business, and they certainly have been game for that at home. They've been a different team at home under Jim Harbaugh, and you can go back even under Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez before that. They're a much better team at the big house, big game, under the lights, national television, all of the above. But would it qualify in your mind as a big win, or does that need to happen the following weeks as well against Penn State, Michigan State, and of course Ohio State at the end? What would this win mean for Michigan? How would you put it into words? Well, and like I said, how I, how I felt about the Nebraska win actually being Harbaugh's best win to date, numbers-wise, and, you know, like I said, defense, special teams, everything. But, I mean, with the, this 
big win because, yeah, it's over ranked team, Wisconsin, primetime, ESPN College game day. It's the game of the weekend. Yeah, this 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 will be that big. This will be that big big win that the uh, that the Wolverines would need. This this is a resume win if they can pull it off, no doubt. Regardless of it being at home. Finally, Adam, on the Michigan topic, you brought up your final score prediction, 28-24. I think that would be on the high end of what we can expect. But just uh, keys, clues to look for and how this game might go, pivot one way or the other. What are the things you're going to be looking at early on, indicators as to uh, whether or not Michigan will be able to win this game? Sustaining drives. Um, and I don't I don't think it's necessarily – I mean, yeah, that you want if you're Michigan, you want to get points out of them. But can you sustain some drives? We've seen the slow start thing, but I think you got to look beyond the the box score and see the scoreless first quarters. I think you got to look at these drive charts, and the drive charts do prove that there have been some slow starts. But so you want to see, uh, you want to see them sustain some drives in the first quarter. That's what I'm looking for. I'm also looking for uh, Michigan's, uh, I mean, defense as a whole. And I thought that Paul Chris made a really good point about this during during the conference call. He said their entire defense is good. I mean, you can look at the one on one battles and everything like that this is a stat i want michigan has given up some big pass plays this year wisconsin has not had any big pass plays this year is wisconsin going to try to capitalize and maybe try to go over top michigan's defense for the first time uh you know go over go up top uh for the first time this year and try it against michigan's uh it's it's happened it could be done so i mean that's kind of what i'm looking for too i mean this is this could be one a one score game. I mean, is this, is this where Alex Hornerbrook, uh, you know, get catches some lightning in the bottle and there's, you know, that 40, 50 yard touchdown pass that they've been lacking all year, or is this going to be, um, one of those games where Michigan's defense, I think either way, Ryan, that Michigan's defense is going to play the key role in this game, um, regardless of team. And this is positive for Wisconsin. If Michigan's defense can bend, and a negative, obviously, for the Wolverines. So, I mean, th- this game rides on the defense, I think, all the way, no matter how no matter how you look at it. No matter how much this Michigan offense has improved, which it has, and how many weapons, I mean, this, this game is in Michigan's defense's hands, no doubt. Some great daily content from Adam this week. As usual, he profiles the two running backs and must-see TV, he calls it. You can find it all at GreatLakesDivide.com. Also a profile on True Wilson. True Blue, that's a great one. Nicely oh, done yeah, there, thanks. my friend. That, that, that took a lot of creativity. Creativity. That was a real hard one right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, the article itself is is tremendous. Uh, talking about contact, courage, not being afraid of anybody. You mentioned the play, and I think he brought it up to Jim Harbaugh himself that he blew up, a, he chipped on a, a blitzer and then came through as well, delivering another block on the same play and setting the standard, Adam. I mean, this is the what a guy like him can do that's been promised nothing, that's been given nothing, that's had to work and scratch and claw for everything he's got. I mean, this is a, a tried-and-true, prototypical Jim Harbaugh kind of guy, and you can see it the look in his face that Jim Harbaugh has when he talks about True Wilson. Oh, absolutely. I think it, I think uh, if you're a, if you appreciate what the student athlete does, if you appreciate uh, the grind that it takes to even get on a practice squad on a Division One team, uh, you know, if you appreciate the effort, doesn't matter who you're a fan of, you gotta like True Wilson. I mean, we've seen these type of stuff. I mean, Kenny Willickis. I mean, True Wilson is Michigan's Kenny Willickis. Different, you know, mm-hmm. he's an offensive player, 
But I mean, you know what I mean? Rise to prominence. I mean, Kenny, yeah. obviously a little bit bigger part uh, of Michigan State, but I mean, True Will, similar similar storylines. You know what I mean? And, and you see, you, you'll see these, and these are the kind of guys I think that. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Michigan or a Michigan State fan. If you can't appreciate what Kenny Willekes has done uh, to get to where he is at Michigan State, uh, then you then you just don't appreciate college football. If you can't appreciate what True Wilson's done to get to where he is at Michigan, you can't. Then you just don't appreciate college football. So no, you 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 root for those guys. Actually, I mean I do. I mean I'm not you know, like 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 we said. You know we're not there to be fans or anything like that. But I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and say. I don't maybe crack a little smile when I see uh, True Wilson go pancake a defensive end. I mean, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great article. You can find out more. And again, uh, Adam profiles Michigan's offensive line and where they go from here. Some of the stuff we touched on here in the podcast, more in-depth coverage in his uh, long-form articles at GreatLakesDivide.com. You brought up Kenny Willekes, the Michigan State defense Players only meeting. Joe Bocci calls for it. Kari Willis signs on uh, for it as well. You can see the videos in their entirety at my YouTube channel, and that's also provided as well at GreatLakesDivide.com. Adam, before I let you go, I do want to get your thoughts again on the initial game of this doubleheader that a lot of fans will be watching both ends of. And I know by the time you get to Ann Arbor, you'll be watching the latter stages of this game. A 3.30 start time on Big Ten Network. Michigan State, number eight race. Penn State. Um, when you hear about a players-only meeting, when you watch the video interview I had with Joe Bocci, and I asked him why was that necessary to have a meeting without the coaches, and Adam, he paused for three full seconds before answering that it's a player-led team, and basically saying I don't want to take it out of context, but that coaches don't always have all the answers. So when you hear about all that, when you see the aftermath of Michigan State's loss on homecoming to Northwestern, a loss to the Wildcats for the third straight year, what stands out to you about Michigan State heading into Happy Valley where a lot of people think they're heading to their execution? And, and I mean, Ryan, I guess it depends on how you want to look at this. I mean, is this is this going to – this is a defining moment for Michigan State's season regardless. And, I mean, I, they're – you know, we'll, we'll hear more of it. I mean, you know, more. There are not going to be any. They got to win this game. Um, if they don't win this game, I mean, if it's something, you know, it's Trace McSorley heroics on the last play of the game or whatever, they got to go at least. They, they got to go away from this at least. They're not winning the Big Ten, um, so you got to you got to get out of Happy Valley at least feeling happy. Some something positive happened. You go down there and get thrashed. I mean, then that's then this. I don't know. Are we going to see a? A three and nine repeat. I mean, we're, we're going to see things unravel. I don't know, but I, I will go back because uh, Joe Bocci's earlier comment about you know if you don't want to lead, get out of the way. And then Mark D'Antonio uh, said, you know, there's not a there's not a attitude problem or whatever. Joe was just speaking out of passion. And then you see, you know, Bocci, uh, you know, very serious, very serious guy by the way, uh, calling you know calling the players only meeting. Uh, Kari Willis getting in on you, you know it. I mean. This isn't a uh, players meeting to say, hey, guys, hey, maybe we should play better. This is a players meeting. Hey, uh, do you want to do this? Are you on this team? Are you with it or are you not with it? That's what this is about, if you ask me. So, I mean, um, my thoughts are that this is this is going to this game right here determines the course of Michigan State season. 
totally agree. I think this is their season. If they come out of this halfway through three and three, one and two in the Big Ten, the goals, the dreams, the aspirations that they had for a season they felt they could build on the success of last year's 10 and three campaign, all of that goes out the window and then they have to scramble and, and try to salvage something. Otherwise, I, this could be a critical turning point if they did go down there and somehow shock the world and win and don't think they can't because Mark Mark D'Antonio has done it before. He'll do it again. Will he do it on Saturday? It remains to be seen. But Adam, you're right. If they come out of this four and two, two and one in the Big Ten, head-to-head tiebreaker with Penn State. Now they got to chase down Ohio State and Michigan. They got the Wolverines coming to town the very next week. I mean, think about this. If somehow the Spartans turn the trick of going down to Happy Valley, getting a win, coming back home, beating Michigan. They're in the driver's seat once again, and right where Mark D'Antonio wants his teams to be, a chance to win a title in November with everything riding on that Ohio State game. So, I mean, we talk about Michigan's critical three-game stretch here with tremendous teams, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State. Really, it's back-to-back weeks right now where Michigan State's either going to come out of it looking uh, maybe smelling like a rose. That could be uh, an adequate kind of metaphor, literally, or like you said, a season in a tailspin that could be three and four. I mean, there's just such a wide range of outcomes just over these next two games based on where Michigan State is right now. And I don't know which way this is going to go. I really can't predict it. I don't either, but I, I do think, I mean, both games are, they're both important, right? I mean, every week's important. We always hear that. But Michigan versus Wisconsin, that's a big game. That's a that's a bigger game just because of uh, uh, just national appeal, I think. But in terms of the bigger game for is is was is this Wisconsin game more important for Michigan than this Penn State game is for Michigan State? I think that you could argue it is not in the Penn this Penn State game. If Michigan loses this Wisconsin game, okay, well you still have a chance against Michigan State and maybe get some help. Uh, you know, somebody knock off Ohio State. I don't know who it's going to be, and even if uh, you know, maybe Michigan State does it later in the year. Michigan State loses the Penn State to, uh, tomorrow night. I think it's I think it's done. But uh, I, I think it's much more critical game, uh, Penn State, in terms of you know outcome of the season. It's a more critical game for Michigan State uh, tomorrow than it is for Michigan. That's a good point. And again, you can watch them in succession. Three thirty start time, Michigan State, Penn State. That's on Big Ten Network. Then four hours after that, at seven thirty, Big House under the lights. Uh, Michigan welcoming in the Wisconsin Badgers. We both feel that that would qualify as a big win for Harbaugh, which certainly solidify their position as they try to go down the stretch here of a season in which their title hopes are still very much alive and intact. Penn State, as Adam just touched on, looking at it from their perspective, their season's on the line. They've already lost a home game to Ohio State. They're uh, fresh off of that, a whole bye week to stew over it. They can't afford back-to-back losses like they had a year ago to Ohio State and Michigan State, and you know they'll be ready, especially at home. It's just going to be very interesting to see if Michigan State can somewhat contain Trace McSorley in one form or fashion. The run game, hey, they shut down Saquon Barkley a year ago, so you can't sit here and tell me that they wouldn't stand a great chance of, of doing the same again this year. As you look at you know a Penn State uh, attack that is really predicated, dominated uh, by a rushing attack that is spearheaded by another great back in Miles Sanders. But 
Trace McSorley, interesting to note in this one, as you try to evaluate the, the rankings of the quarterbacks, Adam, let's go there because this is something you can speak to following Shea Patterson all year. Trace McSorley came in as the media darling and certainly nationally from the pundits, the guy to watch in the Big Ten. I don't know that I'd put him at the top of the charts, but his rushing attack has doubled in yards per carry from three and change to six and change. That one-two punch of Miles Sanders and McSorley also running the football, difficult to stop. If you were to rank right now the top three quarterbacks in the Big Ten, who are they and in what order? Probably just because he's got these phenomenal numbers. I mean, Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State's had had a real good year. I mean, there's a you can't deny it. I mean, that offense is, is built to just rack up some yardage, and we've seen and we've seen it happen. Ohio State's pretty good. I I like Haskins. I think that I think he can really throw the ball uh, well. He's a phenomenal athlete. So he's number one. Trace is two. I mean, uh, Shea's two. Trace is three. I would, I would. Put I think I agree with that. that. That's my, yeah, that's my one, two, three. Haskins, uh, Shea Patterson, Trace McSorley. Yeah, Dwayne Haskins. You look at these numbers, Adam. My God, he's above seventy-one percent throwing the football. Twenty-five touchdowns against four picks. He can spread it. And I had to double check that because sometimes there are errors on these stat pages. I had to double check that. I'm like twenty-five touchdowns, twenty-five passing touchdowns. No, he, no, that's got to be an error. Did someone actually did someone accidentally hit a uh, hit a two instead of a five uh, instead of a one? You know, fifteen. Okay, no, yeah, twenty five uh, pass touchdowns. Yeah, this this dude's a video game right now. <laughs> yeah, Haskins is playing off the charts. Well, McSorley has been solid, but you know, I don't know that James Franklin. It might take years to live down that fourth and five call. That is going to sting. That is going to stick with them. That could be the difference between them being in their first ever college football playoff and not and having Ohio State pass them by. Such a critical blunder in a big situation where I think they took not one, but two timeouts to decide what they were going to call, and they go with what they had, an inside handoff, just mind-numbing. But McSorley's still up there. I really like what I've seen from Shea Patterson. And the thing is, Adam, as you look at who's left out of that conversation, well, you could say Hornerbrook, but I think most people felt he was fairly pedestrian. He just is a game manager. Don't lose the game. That's what Paul Chris is asking him to do. But Brian Lewerke, is there anything that you could speak to about Lewerke? I know you only get passing glances at Michigan State, but you see the highlights. You hear the comments in the press conferences afterward. Just what is holding Brian Lewerke back? Is it a combination of factors? Does he have himself to blame? I mean, that's uh, – Ryan, I would actually defer to you on that. I mean, you you speak to Brian a lot more. I, I won't see Brian until we both cover Michigan-Michigan State October 20th. Uh, I, it's 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 difficult. Uh, he came into the – let's not forget that Michigan State was named by ESPN – uh, when they were talking about dark horse college football playoff teams or even just contenders, Michigan State was in that conversation uh, during the preseason. Brian Lewerke, uh, someone uh, – I'm forgetting uh, who it was. It was a Lansing columnist, I believe, threw Brian Lewerke's name in there as a dark horse for the Heisman. I mean Bert- – I did too. I did too. We, we were we – were, everybody was really high on Brian Lewerke. And I don't know if this is a combination of are there some leadership things going on there? I mean, are they having some kind of internal strife, you know, players only meeting? I mean, this offensive line has been banged up, guys having to be moved around. Uh, you know, Chewins, Beetle, I don't even know who the 
who the hell they're starting at left tackle this week. I, you know, I don't know the too deep over there. You do. Uh, but I don't know if it's a combination of just, I mean, not having LJ Scott, you know, I mean, you're, you're, Brian Lewerke is going to be, I think of a, a really good Brian Lewerke, best case scenario, you have a really good LJ Scott by you or a really good running game period. I mean, and it, I just, it's a, it's a multitude of factors right now. I think the question would be though, is, and if you're able to ask it, or if I'm able to ask, it, is, is there, is Brian Lewerke just in some kind of mental funk? I mean, that that's the only way I can, because the Brian Lewerke we've seen this year is not what we expected. And that's not, that's not peak Brian Lewerke. And that's not who Brian Lewerke is. We've seen who Brian Lewerke is. The Brian Lewerke we see right now is not him. Final thought, Adam, and I know I've got you on the phone here talking a lot about Michigan State, but that's why we call it the Great Lakes Divide. You and I offer thoughts from across the bridge at the other team. I want to get your response, though, to a comment Mark D'Antonio made, and I think you could really react either way to this. He is adamant. He is defiant. He is insistent that he has a run-first team in a pro-style offense whose past track record of success has been built on running the ball, get this, direct quote, 40 times a game, that that's the goal, 40 rushes a game. So he doubled down basically when a lot of people are not only whispering but shouting from the rooftops about how this offense has to change, about how they don't have the personnel to run the type of offense they have in the past, myself included, about they don't have the stable of running backs, at least not yet. They certainly have not had the performance from the offensive line they need to execute a running game to justify 40 play calls on the ground. One, are you buying or selling on D'Antonio's statement of 40 rushes per game? Is it a smokescreen that might preclude them from doing something the exact opposite, gamesmanship maybe against James Franklin? What is your read on that comment? I mean, I, I can understand if if it's – look, if it's not broke, <clears throat> don't fix it, right? I mean, if running the ball 40 times has been the key to success and, and we've seen ground game dominance, you know, going back to what – you know, when D'Antonio first took over with the Spartans and Javon and Javon Rainer, J.U. Kulkirk, you know, those guys have set set the path for everybody else to follow. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. But Mark, it looks broke, man. <laughs> you got you gotta do something to fit that that's my thought. It looks broke. I mean, their coaches, they know but I mean, everybody could see there are problems that this offensive line's beat up in underperforming. You're not getting you know what you want out of the passing game, maybe because you're leaning too much on the run game. I mean, the run game is clearly not working. Uh, L.J. Scott, that's a whole another story. You know, I mean, you got you got to be able to move the ball. If you're if you're running the ball forty times per game, I'd like to see what their average is per carry. But yeah, you're going with a game plan. But Ryan, in a sense, too, aren't you just wasting time? Aren't you just giving away downs? I mean, if if you keep yeah. doing the same thing over and over and getting the same result, that's the definition of insanity, right? And we've probably said that before. I know I've mentioned this before, probably last year, talking about football in some, some capacity. Sometimes you do got to change it up. And, yeah, the, the formula has been run the ball for the Spartans, and that's worked. But, I mean, look, you don't have Jeremy Langford back there right now. There's not a there's not a Cedric Irvin uh, pre-D'Antonio days. I mean, I'm trying to think of some more D'Antonio running backs. You don't, you Le'Veon don't have <laughs> Le'Veon. You don't have a Le'Veon Bell right now. You know, I mean, uh, LJ Scott was supposed to be one of these greats, but 
you know, for one reason or another, you know, you mentioned the ankle injury and the other issues. Things just haven't been working. Pass the ball. I mean, pass the ball. Running the ball 40 times give per me, game is not is not working right now. Give me all the Felton Davis plays and line them up and dare Penn State to stop him. That's what I'm going to do. That's your ace. You're holding an ace in your hand. Play it. The guy is a force. Their comeback in the third quarter last week against Northwestern when they jetted back to take the lead was all about Felton Davis. A reverse for a touchdown from 48 yards out. A fade in the corner. And, and then, after those two touchdowns, he disappears from the play calling. I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. And I think it's just common sense. It's like you said, Adam. Definition of insanity. Change it up. Make them stop Felton, and once they do that, maybe the running game gets a little bit easier. You've got to not put the cart before the horse, and in literal terms, use the pass to set up the run. I know it's counterintuitive for Mark D'Antonio, for his staff, for all that they've done and accomplished, but this is not your father's Spartans team of what Adam just mentioned with Langford and Bell of years ago. They don't have it. They don't have those guys. They don't have the offensive line. Can they go into Happy Valley and win? I think they can. I think if Felton Davis has the type of blow-up performance that he had a year ago against Penn State, he was stellar. I think he can dominate this game, and if he does, the Spartans have got a shot. If he doesn't, they have no prayer. They have no chance whatsoever, and in my prediction, you can read it online. I have a full a game day preview. I like the Spartans to cover the spread, but fall ultimately 27-17. I just don't think they can match McSorley on offense, even if the defense does its job. And Adam, for his part, once again, you can check out all that he's written this week. He predicts a 28-24 Michigan victory over Wisconsin. I like Michigan to win by a similar narrow margin, a little bit lower scoring. Again, my kind of uh, lock pick of the week, I like the under on 49. So Adam has him at 52. We'll see. He'll be there in Ann Arbor covering it. I'll be uh, watching the game from afar here. Michigan State at Penn State. That's a 3.30 start on BTN. ABC will have the coverage of Michigan, Wisconsin. And just one more note, Adam, before I let you go on LJ Scott, because you and I were talking about this before we went live with a call here. Can you blame the guy when he came back for a senior year? When I talked to him on the field in San Diego after the Holiday Bowl, he was adamant about returning, about a team with a chance to win it all. That's what he said. Those were his words. And this team has, let's face it, they've fallen flat through five games. Mark D'Antonio says he feels they should be 5-0. and They're not. They're 3-2. and And he has had L.J. Scott a lingering, maybe a moderate high ankle sprain, whatever you want to call it, that he just can't cut or turn on. But is he thinking about his future? Does he feel like he's dramatically hurting his draft stock by coming back and playing behind this offensive line? Is that a fair take? on his part and do you believe that i don't i don't know well enough honestly to say i will let me go back to the dan the, the d'antonio comment to play like you're five and no i don't get that you're not five and no i mean i get what he's trying to say play but no you can't afford a loss you are not undefeated you shouldn't be beating your chest right now you're not five and no don't you don't play like you're five and no play like you're own five right now you need a win you mm. need to you need to prove something as far as lj i mean i uh when do they make him available? I mean, is he even speaking in the media? When's the last time he spoke to the media? No. Big time, big time media days. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's been a while and certainly not since the injury. He played against Arizona State, tweaked the ankle there week two, has not played since. And to my knowledge, I'm trying to think back myself, Adam, I haven't seen him available to us since for us to ask him about it. Oh, I mean, I, the, the longer an absence, the more speculation can run. I'll say that. All right, and that'll wrap up our coverage on this Friday as we look ahead to Saturday's matchups. Hope you enjoy the action. Again, Adam will be live in Ann Arbor. You can follow his tweets at AdamBiggers81. Follow everything we do at GLDivide on Twitter and like us on Facebook there. Download and subscribe. If you're hearing this podcast online, you can get it directly delivered to your phone via the iTunes search engine and on any platform which you get your podcast. We appreciate you listening. And once again, sending you out to the sounds of the record line provided to us by Heather Frary, South Lansing, west side of Washington, just south of 496, the record lounge in Rio Town. For Adam Biggers, I'm Ryan Schuling. We'll talk to you next time on the Great Lakes Divide podcast.